In today's episode, we speak to Derek Van Nass, who is a wealth strategist, a person who's passionate about helping people reach their full potential. His company, Big Life Financial, is focused on removing the mystery and misinformation surrounding money and financial strategy so people can live their biggest life. Derek believes that each person has something unique and valuable to contribute to the world, but the most people are never able to express that gift due to the fear and doubt or worry related to money. His mission is to eradicate that fear and fundamentally change the way that people think about and utilize money within the next generation. So let's speak to Derek Van Ness. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Gul Khan, your money mindset expert. And I'm so excited to be speaking to Derek Van Ness, an amazing, amazing, amazing wealth strategist. And um, we've heard the intro already, but let's hear from Derek himself. Welcome, Derek. Happy to be here, Gul. This is going to be fun. It is, it is. So Derek, I've already explained, uh, given the, your wonderful intro, but why don't you tell people what it is that you do? Well, you know, my title is I'm a tax and wealth strategist, but that's like a really big open world, right? Mm. And so specifically, I mean, our our big objective for people and the reason my company's called Big Life Financial is to help people get money out of the way so Mm. you can live the life you're here to live. Because I feel like so many people get caught up in money and they're they're chasing money or they're just barely surviving because they haven't figured out the money game. Hmm. And that keeps them from truly being who they are, right? It's kind of like wearing handcuffs all over the all all throughout your life. Hmm. And you just can't express yourself. You're kind of constricted and you're you're kind of stuck. And listen, I've I know we're going to talk a little about my story. I've had my ups and downs, but I know that when you don't have a lot of uh, a lot of money in your life or you're really struggling with it, it's kind of like not having much oxygen. It's, it becomes the primary thing and it can really hold you back. I'm so, so. glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that, Derek, because one of the things that I, I say to people, and I think I, I do it not necessarily to wind them up or push the buttons, but just to bring home to the idea how important money is. Um, and I, as a money mindset, so money, I think is very important. I, I think I'm a money, I'm an advocate for money anyway. And I always yeah. say this, that, you know, you know, Oxygen may not be, um, I mean, money may not be as more important than oxygen, but it's on the same level, right? You know, and in some respects, it's probably a little bit more valuable because when you die, you don't need oxygen anymore. But when you die, you still need money to be buried. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I like that. So it's, you know, it just brings home the importance. If you don't have money, then you're not able to grow. Okay, great. So let me start us off with, you know, so obviously you weren't born this way. You weren't born a tax or a wealth strategist. So how did you get here? What's your journey? Take us on, with, uh, take us on your journey with you. Well, there, I mean, there's a lot to it, right? And depending on where I want to pick it up. But one of the things I knew is I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Okay. My father was a, he, he had his own small business. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, I got to see what it was like for him to be able, if we, had, if we were sick and had to stay home from school for him mm-hmm. to be able to be there. Right. Or when I had baseball games, he could make it to those or, or football or basketball or whatever. Um, and so it was really important to me to have that freedom. I didn't, 
you know, I didn't think about it as much in terms of like making a bunch of money and all these things, but I just saw that uh, he didn't have to necessarily answer to any one person. Sure. He had to answer to his clients and he still, you know, he couldn't run around and just do anything he wanted, but, but there was more flexibility, more lifestyle built into it. Mm. And I, I think I probably got from him the idea that money isn't about having more. It's about creating a life that you love. And if you have the money, then you have the ability to be flexible and, and move and make decisions in a way that can accommodate what you actually want to get out of life yeah. instead of just chasing the money because money's just the the vehicle. It's not the end goal of the whole thing. Yeah. So, so I kind of knew that growing up, this is something I want to do. And so, but I also knew coming out of school, I was a little bit scared. So if you're, if you're young and you think, God, I want to have my, my own business, the best thing I can tell you is you got to get really good at communication. In my mm -hmm. case, I was scared to death to sell because if you can't communicate with people, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's working mm -hmm. with employees, working with clients, working with vendors, your ability to communicate is everything. And I, I knew that because I read uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he makes this point that he sold copiers for, yeah. for a while, which isn't a glamorous job, but he said, I knew I knew I needed to learn how to sell. So I was in that same boat. Right. So if you've seen the, the, the show boiler room, I basically signed up for one of those jobs. It's where they like sell over the phone ah. and basically, <laughs> yeah, this is how hardcore this job was. You came in and they said, well, they throw down this huge like phone book and they said, well, you need to call 200 people a day. Wow. We have a call tracker every single day or you're fired. How do you feel oh, about that? Wow. If you were oh, flinched, wow. they were like, yeah, you're not our guy. But at that point I was like, okay, I know I need to sell. And I know the phone is so much more effective at reaching people, maybe not at closing necessarily, but reaching mm -hmm. people than in person. Cause it takes so long to travel in person. There's no way you could talk to 200 people in person a day. No. Like you can on the phone. Of course. Right. And so, and this was back in like 2000, 1998. Right. So, you know, the internet was around, but it wasn't what it is right now for communication. Mm. So I basically did for the next three years, I did about 50,000 cold calls. Wow. And I got wow. really good. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was crazy. I'd be on the phone all day and I like had a stiff neck from like, this was before headsets and all that stuff, mm -hmm. stiff neck. And then I'd go home and dream about calling people all night and then get up and go back to work. And it was like, for the first two months, it was crazy. It was just like living in a blur because I was terrible at it. I was scared of it. And uh, I used to have to bribe myself. I do things like, okay, once I have 25 phone calls done, then I can have my coffee. And then after I had my coffee, then I'm like, okay, I got to have another 75 before lunch. And like, I had to kind of like keep making all these small goals for myself because the big goal of just get on the phone and just call into oblivion was, was really hard for me. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that scenario is, you know, they will, you know, it's been, I think that's, that's how most tasks are done. Anyway, I remember quite early on learning how to eat, not literally, obviously, but how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not that I'm asking anybody to eat an elephant, not, not at all, not at all. But I mean, that is sort of, um, sums up, you know, how to tackle a mammoth of a task, which that sounds awful i mean i've never yeah. done anything like that but it sounds absolutely horrendous but then i've, I've done I, I totally agree you just have to knuckle down and get on with the tasks at hand i remember yeah. being when i was studying to law for law and i'm dyslexic by the way so 
Huh? I had to read tons and tons of law, case law. Books are one thing, but the case law, which is absolutely uh, brain-numbing dead, I had yeah. tons and tons to read. So same scenario. You know, I had to task, read these five cases, and each case is about 2,200 pages long, by the way. Uh, read wow. five cases, then I move on to the whatever. You know, whatever little goal I had for myself. Now let's come yeah. on to you again. So yeah. it's great that you, you you started off with acquiring a skill. Now, I love the, the fact that you mentioned Robbie Kiyosaki. I read him years ago and I thought he was brilliant. And yeah. I understood you know, the difference between an asset and a liability. But it's one thing reading it, a second thing implementing it. Now, this is a big task. Had you read the book then or did you read the book afterwards? Uh, I, I, I had read it then. Yeah, okay. that definitely that definitely put in my mind, like, I'm like this nice guy, right? Like, mm. I'm, I'm very nice and... Mm. Um, and where I come from in Salt Lake City, everybody's super nice. And mm. it's uh, sometimes in our in this particular culture I grew up with, people aren't great at asking for what they want, right? Yeah. Everybody sort of plays the victim and they're, you know, it, it's very religious here and a lot of things. And so a lot of people are, they just get walked all over. Yeah. And I knew I couldn't be that way if I wanted to be successful. Mm. And I thought the number one skill that I really, really need is I'm, I'm good with people. I'm good with friends. I'm good with managing people because I had run a bunch of committees and stuff when I was in college but I wasn't good at selling. I wasn't good at persuasion. I wasn't good at um, getting people to buy into the ideas mm. that I had to sell. And so uh, I wasn't sure what I was doing. And, and truth be told that a lot of the training I got at that particular job, I feel like wasn't super ethical. It was like old school sales, right. there was some manipulation. Okay, the sleazy, sleazy sales guy kind of image, right? Yeah. Yeah. There, there was some of that. I mean, there was definitely some good stuff going on. Hmm. And so I learned some bad lessons that way about sales. And I was really happy because when I went to work for myself shortly thereafter, um, I let go of all that. Cause I was like, I just hate that I have to take from someone else for me to earn. Yeah. I wanted to be in a position where I created a win-win. And, th and that was probably one of the first things that I really learned that was super valuable. Once I got into my own business was when I'm in control I can create the rules yeah. how I want. I'm not yeah. stuck under somebody else's quota or somebody else's rules or how they want it done. And I really, I really thrived under that freedom. That, that was a yeah. big, big step for me. So, um, and how I kind of got there. Well, yeah. that's my next question. Well, that's, I mean, I mean, I know most entrepreneurs have this inner desire to become entrepreneurs. And I think I always did. I think I'm, I, I you know, I was a great employee when I was working, but I think, uh, there was always something in my heart that I wanted to become an entrepreneur, which is exactly what you're saying at the moment. And I, I hear this all the time, this inner feeling like I had to be, it just had this, this play, this work nine to five job isn't for me, but yeah. taking that leap requires a lot of courage and to it actually does. make the decision. And then actually a lot of gumption to stick to that decision. So how did you come to that decision? What, what, how did you work on your mindset to get to go from being in a secure job supposedly into mm -hmm. an uncertain, uh, uncharted, uncertain territory of entrepreneurship. Yeah. So, so the first thing that got me there was uh, I did an internship prior to this job and mm -hmm. I had a person who was also doing an internship sitting next to me in the cube next to me in Silicon Valley. And I was working really hard and they were sitting there on the phone talking to their friends and all these things. And I hated that they got paid the same amount of money as me. Like it just, ugh. and so I really got this deep seated desire to be paid what I was worth. And so that was part of why I went into sales, because if you're good at sales, you can make more money. And so I liked that, but I also felt, I didn't realize there's still a lot of shackles with that, right? You're, yeah. you're shackled to a quota and what it, you can only sell the product that your company sells and you have to play by all their rules and all the red tape. And I just hated that. So it became very clear to me that I was probably going to 
want to throw myself off a bridge if I did it much longer <laughs> because doing cold calls on a Friday afternoon, when you live in Los Angeles, like I did at the time and I'm up on like the fifth floor and I can like see all the way to the beach and I see people out there surfing and people running on the beach and I'm in this glass box nobody's picking up the phone and I have to make 50 more phone calls today that I know nobody's going to answer just because that's what the quota says drove me crazy. And so I just knew I had to get out of there. And that, that was a big, uh, a big pain for me. It was like this knife in my side every single day of like, I don't want to be here. There's so many things I have to put up with here that I shouldn't have to. They're just unnecessary. Mm. They're bureaucracy. So for me, that was a real driver. Um, and then I, Basically what I did was I determined it was, it was my birthday, actually 2001 after the twin towers fell, the economy was struggling and it was getting harder to make money at my job. So I thought, you know what, I need to figure this out. So I took my birthday off. I wasn't sick, but I called in sick and I started looking around online and I'd already had this idea of, um, at the time it wasn't called flipping houses. To me, it was like buy a beat up house, fix it up. Cause I grew up in construction mm-hmm. and then resell it. And I thought if I could do three times, do that three times in a year, I could make as much money as I made at my job. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like a heck of a lot less work and no traffic and no commute and all that other stuff. So I, uh, I started looking around, I found some courses on that and I determined this is what I want to do. I have this skill set. I have the sales skill set. Now I have the construction skill set and I can learn this real estate stuff. So I decided that day, December 17th, 2001, I was going to start my own business. So I had to keep working my job, but I, at that point I was laser focused. I saved every penny that I made because I knew, knew I needed to save up money. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go out and do a lot of the things that I would do in Los Angeles, going out to bars and dancing and all that. Mm-hmm. And I just knew it was short term. So I did that. And then I've spent every waking second learning everything I could about my business. And I had an hour commute each day. So I'd listen to training on the way there and training on the way back. I know a lot of people do that with podcasts and things now, but this was all very, very specific real estate investing. And that's one of the things I would tell somebody, if you want to start your business, you need to have specialized knowledge. Yeah, agreed. If if you don't know things that other people um, don't know, like if you don't have some kind of specialized knowledge, it's really hard to get paid well. Hmm. So you have to know how to do something or be willing to do something that other people won't do. And so that was, that was really my goal is get so good at this that I, I have a skill set. And so for the next six months, I did that. And essentially I just hung in there as long as I could. And I got to the point where I felt like my job started costing me more than it was making me because I couldn't get out there and, you know, I'd gone as far as I could with my business. I couldn't take phone calls at work. Uh, I couldn't do a lot of the things that I needed to do to progress my business. So as soon as I got a big paycheck, I was like, boom, I'm done. I got out of there and, uh, and actually along the way, I, I set up my taxes so that, you know, as a single, single person, you're paying maximum taxes. I put it to where I had like nine dependents. So they weren't holding any taxes out. So I was just getting all the tax money. I knew I'd have to pay it later, but I just needed as much as I could to make that jump. And so that was really it for me was I've done everything I can up to this point. I've set up all the bank accounts. I've set up the marketing. I've saved the money. I've built the skill set at this point. I've got to jump. And I also talked to my parents. This was a big deal for me. And mm-hmm. I know everybody doesn't have this option, but it would be unfair to say that I didn't have this. I went to my parents and I said, this is what I want to do. And I'd really love your support. If push comes to shove, can you make sure I'm not living in the street? And they said, yeah, we've got your back. We understand what you want to do. You've got a good plan. You've saved the money. You've done everything you can. 
So if push comes to shove, we'll make sure you don't starve. And so that, that really helped me to kind of make that, that last jump. That safety net at the bottom. Yeah. 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 And the funniest thing happened my first day, I was so excited that I started my business. I got up, I went in and got all ready and I was going to go out and look for real estate deals, driving around neighborhoods, looking for vacant houses and that type of thing. And it was something was a little bit funny. It was like really hard to blink. Come to find out I had um, Bell's palsy. And if you don't know anything about Bell's palsy, it's like half of your face is paralyzed. So I wake up that day and literally I was so amped about it that I was like, oh, my face doesn't work. Whatever. I'm getting after it. I'm just going out there and I'm going to find these real estate deals. Um, my sister showed up about a week later. We, we used to go to church together and she was, uh, she was like, what's wrong with your face? And I'm like, oh yeah, it just kind of stopped working. But let me tell you about my new business, right? <laughs> like I was, that's how focused and amped I was about this because I knew I had to make it happen. And I think that's it. When you, when you find something you really want to do mm. and you can just put the blinders on and you're like, I know there's all this other Laser stuff. Focus, a, yeah. Yeah. And I know there's a million reasons this could fail because here's what will happen. If you talk to your friends, you talk to your family, they'll all tell you all the reasons it won't work. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Everybody even a moron can find a reason that something won't work. What you need to find is how it can work. And you need to do that. You have to believe because every single person I know who's been in business and listen, I've started over twice, right? When the crash in 2008 happened, my real estate business got wiped out. I had to start over from scratch because flipping houses didn't exist anymore. Hmm. Every person who uh, builds a business is going to find times in that business where it's not worth the money. It's too much work. It's too hard. Something just blew up. You lost your key employee. You just made a terrible financial decision. Coronavirus comes, whatever it is, something's going to happen. Yeah. And when that happens, if you're not in the business because it's what you want to be doing with your life, you're going to give up. And so I highly advise people, if you're going to make that jump, don't do it just for the money. Do it because the work that you're doing matters to you. Agreed. You would get up and do it. Even if there wasn't much money in it, if you're only in it for the money, I promise you'll give up when it gets hard yeah. and then you'll just start all over again. And you'll probably be chasing the money again because mm. now you're further behind. It just gets worse and worse and worse. So don't make that mistake. You really, you have to be able to make money, but you need to, and you'll notice that I'm not saying follow your purpose, follow your passion. What I'm saying is do work that matters to you, that you feel like is important to the world and creates value and makes the world a better place or better okay. way in some way so that you'll keep doing it even when it's hard, because I promise you more than once it will happen to where it's too hard to go on for just the money. So I agree. I mean, I completely agree with that. I think that money is great and money is important, but our money is important up into a certain point until you are comfortable beyond that. If you're not, if you're not a very materialistic person, like for example, I don't, I don't, I'm not too keen on, on jewelry and other things. The only things that I, I would say I have a passion for is cars. But I can do without the Tesla. I don't have a Tesla at the moment. But I can do without the Tesla. I can do without the Bentley. I don't need them. They're not, they're not driving me every single day. The reason right. why I get up and do my multiple businesses, and I do have multiple businesses, and, and be a full-time mother is because I love, I absolutely love what I do. Mm-hmm. And my coaching practice, which is probably the, I would say that it was, it's probably the most rewarding, non, non-financially is the most rewarding, but financially is the least rewarding, is where I work <laughs> yeah. the hardest, but I yeah. love it. I love talking to people and I would do this for free. I mean, I do my yeah. podcast is for free because I love talking to entrepreneurs like yourself and I love talking and teaching to entrepreneurs who are listening to this podcast as well. But then that's because I do have a passion for it. I do feel there's a purpose to it. And I completely agree mm-hmm. with you. If you don't 
connect with our purpose, which is beyond money, which is beyond you, which is beyond everything that, it, that makes you, it's part of your legacy, then when obstacles come, you will pull back away and lose passion for what you're doing. Uh, so that, that brings me to the point, what kind of obstacles did you come across? And you just mentioned one when you, you know, everything went pop belly up in 2008, by the way, it happened to the best of us, me included. Yeah. I, my, my, <laughs> um, I survived in the sense that I was able to save my, my, my portfolio, but I, I, gosh, I lost, the equity was lost in all of it. It was wiped out completely. The mm-hmm. whole equity was wiped out. And I just mm-hmm. entered the real estate market. I just got in in 2007, 2000, literally 2006 and 2007. So but in 2008, everything was wiped yes. out. It was, it was yeah. a horrendous time. And I got stuck in some, 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 some of my projects. How did you overcome that? How did you work on your mindset and to get you out of that kind of slump? Yeah. So there was a couple of things that were really, really important there. The first thing was, um, and this, I found this being a coach and having worked with thousands of business owners with their financial strategy and different things. Uh, a lot of people went through that in different times, right? The dot-com mm. bubble bursting. And then yeah. of course, 2007, 2008, and other times along the way, depending on the industry you're in, uh, you have to continue to trust yourself. This is a really big problem is people don't trust themselves. And when you don't trust yourselves, you get in this waffly thing where you, you won't make decisions. Mm. I would almost say it's better to make a bad decision, start pursuing it, realize it's bad, back up and then make the right decision than to stand on the fence and not make any decision because oh, you don't move. 100%, 100% right? agreed. Right. So, so that happened to me though. Like after 2008, I was like, I was super successful. I was making three or $400,000 a year and, you know, flipping all these houses and I had more money than I knew what to do with. And, uh, and my biggest problem was I didn't have anybody to hang out with because everybody else had to go to work and my business was running without me to go from that to, you know, the market crashing and losing several million dollars. And all of a sudden I'm dead broke. Like I really didn't trust myself and I kind of got stuck in limbo for, I would say for about a year. Right. And it was really, really difficult. So if you're in that spot of limbo, mm-hmm. I think you need to make a choice. Now that choice doesn't mean like people always think the choice means jump. It doesn't. Maybe it means, okay, I'm not ready to jump. I, I do need to build the confidence. I need this practice. I need this, whatever. So I'm going to actively move in that direction. I'm going to get a mentor. I'm going to get a coach. I'm going to acquire training. I'm going to do the things so that I am ready to make the jump, right? Like everybody glamorizes the jump yeah, and that's great. But I think the preparation for the jump is super, super important because it gives you the uh, confidence to make it. Agreed. If you're really jumping off the cliff and you don't have any idea how you're going to fly, I would say, don't do that. But if you're like, I know I can do this, it's going to be hard, but I've got the skills. I understand what I'm trying to accomplish. You don't know everything, but you know how to make your first dollar, then I think you're, you're going to be okay. Right. So, but, but make that decision. And I'd rather you jump than just stand there on the fence forever. Because I do think a lot of people who want to start their businesses get stuck right there. Yeah, They're on the edge. They're looking over the cliff and they're just afraid to jump. And it's the worst thing you can do. I agree. I mean, I, 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 example that came to my mind when you were saying this is, I, you know, you hear of these entrepreneurs who have this great business ideas and they do, and they have this, they, they set up the website and then the other site, and then they go and do those, take those pictures and images and whatever else. And they spend all this time building up all this rubbish, whereas mm-hmm. they need to just get on. And if it, the online entrepreneurs can start selling the products. And I, I know of course creators who spend like months and months and months and creating the courses and then I'll send a single unit whereas I've always worked the other end I sell the units first and sort of build the course after 
yeah, you know, yeah. you, you test the market and so forth. But it's like get started and then refine your craft, refine your work, and refine your mm-hmm. business as you go along. And mm-hmm. what something else you said, I absolutely love. It's something which I learned from Tony Robbins way back when I first started listening to him, you know, in the in 1990s rather. It's about getting mentors. So if you are about to yeah. make a jump, it's it cuts your learning curve literally by half, if not more. If you yeah. go to somebody who's been there, done that, and can support you on your journey. So getting a mentor really helps you. And this is why this coaching industry, which has actually boomed over the last decade, completely boomed. And yep. I think quite rightly so, because more and more people are recognizing the fact that they need to keep coming to people like you yourself or people like me who can help them in certain aspects. We both don't cover the same areas, but we can cover certain aspects, which they will, if they've tried to work it out on their own, they'll probably struggle with or take a lot longer or, or maybe not even jump, take the jump. That, that's yeah. absolutely true. Well, and I think another huge, huge thing with having a mentor or coach, especially someone you respect or you're paying for, Mm. is it forces you into uncomfortable action. Yes. Right. Mm. You don't want to look bad. And so it's more uncomfortable to look bad than to do the work. And so you actually do the work. I think for a lot of people, you know, doing something new is uncomfortable. And a lot of people stand there and they, they just don't do it. They don't pick up the phone. Like you said, they, they want the business cards. They want the website. They want the the letterhead and all this stuff, none of that makes you you money. And I know tons of real estate investors, they're spending years building lines of credit and going to meetings and all this education and they never even make a phone call. They never make an offer. They never go see a property. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? Forget all that other stuff. Maybe you need a basic website and a card, but like, you know, you've heard the MVP, right? Mm-hmm. Minimum viable product. Exactly. What's the minimum you need in place to do business? Do that first minimize your costs, get out on the field and start playing the game. You can come back at halftime and you can regroup and make your plan and then go back on the field. But if you stand on the sidelines, there's only so much you can do and you can't score any points from there. So you need to get on the field. You're going to get some bloody noses. And that is the part that you'll learn the most from. When you get punched in the nose, you're like, oh, that really hurt. But I learned a lot and now I'm better. And there's no shortcut for that. You know, everybody talks about, the 10,000 hour rule, right? That Malcolm Gladwell Mm. uh, made famous, but that the 10,000 hour rule actually talks about 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, which means practice your craft, get feedback, not just doing it badly for 10,000 hours, not just standing on the sidelines for 10,000 hours, being in the arena, doing the work, getting punched in the nose, coming back to the side and having your coach or your mentor, or even yourself look in the mirror and say, how can I do this better? Yeah. All right. But good coaching and in, in, in outliers, he brings that up a lot. Coaching is absolutely vital. The best players in the world at every single sport, the best people in the world who like, you know, I'm, I'm very successful in the financial world and I have great mentors around me. If I didn't have them, like I walked into certain ways to present concepts that I understood in a way that clients can get them. I got the benefit of 20 years of them figuring it out. And I got to walk in and day one, they were teaching me how to explain this stuff in a way that people could get it. Hmm. Stuff that I see people who've been doing it for 10 years, they still struggle with it. I got it from the first day because of mentors. Hmm. It's so, so, so valuable. If you can find somebody who's already walked the path ahead of you, I I can't overestimate that. If you could just do one thing, Mm -hmm. do that. It's literally standing on the shoulder of the giants, aren't they? It's, mm-hmm. You are literally standing on the shoulders of these giants who've gone before you. And that's exactly what become, you know, having coaching and having coaches to do that for you really means. 
Okay, so that's absolutely fabulous. So tell us what's one thing. So we're coming to the end of this this uh, interview now. Tell us this one one time in your life when you would say there was a major obstacle that came across you and you really had to work on your mindset and maybe more specifically money mindset and you had mm-hmm. to pull yourself out of that that you know that uh, over or around the obstacle to get mm-hmm. further and to get to where you are now because there's at this many times when we come across <clears throat> certain paths or certain turning points in our lives where it's do or die did you yeah. have anything like that <laughs> yes many of those um i think the one that that i'd like to talk about is so after i got wiped out in 2008 2009 i think i carried this belief i i adopted this belief during that time period that my net worth was my self worth how much money i had in the bank somehow was a uh, a reflection of the quality of person that i was and yeah. and it was really funny i remember my sister talking to me and telling me she's like derek like you're so incredible. You're so smart. You do so many valuable things. And all I was doing in my own head was, yeah, but I don't have the money to show it. Yeah, but I don't have the money to show it. Yeah, but yeah. And I couldn't hear it. I was hearing it from so many people. I was making massive impact because I was coaching a lot of clients at that time, but I wasn't making tremendous money because I was working for a company and you know, there's a lid on that. Right. Mm. So I made good money, but I was also living in New York city, which like London is not cheap. (laughs) So making a hundred thousand dollars a year, barely doesn't get, get you through. very far. Yeah. It doesn't get yeah, you. Yeah. 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 So, um, and then I'd see these other people who had greater net worths and different kinds of things, even if they were like knuckleheads, I would put them further up, uh, as I would esteem them as being more successful than me. And that, that just wasn't true. So I had to spend a lot of time and as weird as this is going to sound, I'm just going to, you know, I know you guys do a little bit of, a little bit of woo here and go into the, the inner journey a little bit, mm. but I, I had to do a lot of mirror work. I had to mm. look in the mirror every single day And I had to, at first, I just had to like tell myself that I was worthy of love and that, Mm. and love myself and trust myself and look for the value. And at first it felt like I was scratching against the glass wall. There was just no traction. It just felt fake. It felt inauthentic. And I'd look in my eyes and it was just like empty. It was super hard, but I was really committed to it and I kept doing it. And eventually it was like, you get like a little chink and you're like, oh, okay. I got a little traction on that a little bit of traction and I kind of believe it. And yeah, maybe that's true. And I remember sitting on the, on the subway train, just like telling myself that over and over and over. I read a really good book at the time called uh, love yourself. Like your life depends on it mm-hmm. uh, by Kamal Ravikant, which is an incredibly good book. Uh, and, uh, and, and that helped, but I just spent a ton of time, like really looking for the good in myself, looking to see if I could see the value that other people were telling me about in myself, and you may not have people in your life that are telling you that and giving you all of that. But I think if, if you're not feeling that for yourself, it's very difficult to be successful because when money came, a lot of times I would just, no, don't worry about it. I got this. And I would turn it away and I would turn it away and I would turn it away. And I think it was because I didn't feel worthy of it, even Mm. though I wanted it. It's almost like when people get depressed, they, they want their friends to come around and they want to do things, but their friends will call and they won't even pick up the phone. Yep, it, was yep. kind of, it was kind of like that. And so I worked, I would say for six months, I worked really, really, really hard at that in basically using affirmations and a lot of looking at, at myself in the mirror 
mirror work yeah I mean I, I'm so happy you said that because that's one of the, my my favorite exercises by the way so I I teach a lot of mirror work in my practice in my masterminds and mm. my one of my famous meditations which is called million in the mirror is on similar a similar path and the, the, I'm so happy that you've mentioned the idea that first of all before you do anything else before you think affirmations it's about giving you love, yourself I call it self-love and finding that that deep connection with your soul with your higher self in through the mirror and actually giving yourself the love that, that you would expect to give to a child to a pet to a friend to a sibling to a sibling or a, or a mother or father or a lover but yeah. having that unconditional love for yourself is so difficult to get so this is something that i teach in um in our workshops as well because it's so important yet it's missing it's it's absolutely missing and i'm so so pleased that you mentioned it wonderful yeah. awesome it's- so on on that note um Derek, so tell us where can we find you on the internet you can find me in a lot of places um uh, you, you can find me at, of course, biglifefinancial.com. Mm-hmm. You see the sign in the background. But also, uh, I do a lot of YouTube videos, a couple of them a week, where we talk about financial strategies. We talk about personal development strategies. I have one in there on my 10-year journey through meditation and how that's changed over time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, biglifefinancial.com forward slash YouTube will take you there. You can always, of course, Google my name and it'll pop up. But yeah, if you go there and then if you want to look at some of the financial strategies, we give away a book that you can find at biglifefinancial.com forward slash free gift. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can download the, the book that talks about some of the financial strategies that we teach. Uh, we didn't get into those today, but they are really powerful. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, we will have Derek back on our new segment that's coming out from January called Money Talkies, where we'll actually deep dive into strategies for wealth. And we can talk about one of those strategies then. Uh, whereas today in Friday feature, we talk about your journey and actually get inspiration from that. Thank you so much, Derek. And for those listening, all the, all the links that Derek has mentioned will be available in the show notes. So I just wanted Derek to mention them, but we will have them available for you, easily accessible for you in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Derek, for being an absolutely amazing guest. Obviously, we're going to have you back on the segment for us for Money Talkies, uh, which will come out <laughs> from January. But thank you for sharing your, your journey today. Thank you for being so open and candid about your struggles and your your ups and downs, because it shows us that if it's possible for you, it's possible for us. So Hopefully those listening have got inspiration from you as I have. I think you're amazing. So thank you so much. And for those listening, thank you so much for joining me another Friday feature. I will be back with another Friday feature with another amazing guest sharing their inspiration story so you can get inspiration to change your life by changing your mindset. Until the next time we meet, this is Goa Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website, www.golkhan.com. That's G-U-L-L-K-H-A-N.com. And if you want to take part in our five-day millionaire mindset makeover challenge, where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance, then please go to www.millionairemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in our next five-day challenge. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan. Take care and bye for now.